Hi, welcome to discussions of music, healing, and consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Prodsman. In today's episode, we're talking all about the magic of live music, musical communication, and expression. In other words, the beauty of experiencing music live, the communication that happens on stage with musicians telepathically, as well as the communication and expression experienced by the audience. We'll also go into how you can be performing your own music in your own unique ways at whatever skill level to express yourself and to relieve stress, anxiety, and to honestly just have some fun. We'll be talking about other art forms and modalities that help you relieve stress and just overall feel great to do. We'll be talking about all those things and much, much more as always in our open conversations here on discussions of music, healing, and consciousness. So I how spontaneous this is. I, I do too. And I was literally talking to my my folks uh, just before hopping on this call, and they're like, "So how do you prepare for these podcasts?" You know, I'm like, I wouldn't use the word prepare <clears throat> too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I say that in the best way. I'm like, well, I don't know. We just get on and <laughs> catch up a bit, and then find something that sounds like fun to talk about, and then we'll go for it. So oh, there you go. That that seems to be it, and I guess today for me it was that amazing jazz band or jazz artist uh, Evan Christopher. Was that his name? Yeah. Hey, let's call it out. Let's name some names here. <laughs> Evan Christopher. Um, Bill sent me an amazing video, jazz in um, Marciac. I don't know how you pronounce that. In 2014, Farewell Blues. It's an amazing, uh, <clears throat> just an amazing performance. And when I was watching it. I was transported to my days playing in a reggae jazz band back in Toronto at a, uh, at a, we had a monthly gig at a, at a beautiful little jazz bar in uh, Kensington market, which is kind of like the Greenwich village of Toronto. And, um, anyway, <clears throat> it reminded me of telepathic communication that happens in music, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or in other words, just the nonverbal communication that we, that audience members will see happening on stage and musicians will experience when they're in that moment. But then you mentioned something, Bill, about, you know, what is it with sound healers and music therapists, perhaps that, what do they encounter? And have you had friends or other people tell you about their experiences, you know, in that situation of, of sound healing, having a nonverbal almost communication with their client? Has that happened or have you heard of that happening? I imagine it does. It hasn't happened to me personally, and I haven't spoken to anybody who like works in that way. Like other than right now, I mean, honestly, Chris, first time I've ever thought of that. But it doesn't it make sense that it makes perfect sense to me, right? So I, I'm really curious for you, like as a sound healer, how that works. And then, um, I mean, I think it's related to how we read audiences or feel with audiences. And certainly, when we're in a band and working with the guys in the band, you you get that same kind of interaction. So I'm really interested in, in where this goes. Well, the thing that I think the audience would benefit to hear from is, is the perspective of musicians like you, you and me and what that, that nonverbal communication feels like when we're performing on stage and then extrapolate that into the sound healing side of things, which I do oh, have sure. some yeah. personal experience with as well. Um, <clears throat> so for myself, you know, with, I'll use my, my old uh, reggae jazz band as an example and my God, the communication with that band, we, we'd been playing together probably close to 10 years at this point, like we've been uh, off and on, but certainly uh, knew each other very well. And when you get to that kind of a relationship, I think with anybody in any field, you could be in film, you could be in tech, you could be in whatever, but when you work with the same people, right, that you really vibe well with, that you get along with, that you work well with, and you develop that um again, this way of working with each other where you kind of finish each other's sentences or you you already know what the other is going to kind of do. So you do something complimentary to that, right? It's the same thing with music. And my experience, what it feels like, not only it feels incredible, it's like it's a natural high into of itself, yeah. but you really do find that the music in a way also becomes part of the communication. So for example, the drummer might start a song off and he's got this beat and he'll look around and he'll maybe look at me and he'll be like, he gives me this look as to like, okay, what are you going to add to this? Right. 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 <laughs> you know, how are you going to start this, this piece or this song or this story? And 
then I'll add something. And then that whatever I add is going to influence what he's doing or she's doing. And then the next player in the band is going to be like, okay, so you guys are doing this. I think this is going to go nice with that. And none of this is spoken out loud. None of this is like, okay, Chris, play this in B flat and this and that. Sometimes that can happen. But in in my circumstances, it never happened at all. Things would just start to be played and then people would fall in line, but it fell in line perfectly, harmoniously, beautifully. And that can only happen when you're having this untethered, nonverbal communication that really happens through through music. I know you've had this bill with with your performances. Like what have you what have you experienced in that kind of realm? Yeah, I I have. It's part of learning to be a musician, I think. Good point. And I've never really had to like learn it. It's always been there, but I've had people try to explain it later. Uh, in college, part of the music track was to accompany a vocal recital. So every undergraduate piano player had to do this and um, the the music teacher was the the vocal teacher was there like sort of instructing me what to do and I'm like you know dude I've been doing this for a while <laughs> right by that time I'd been you know a Dixieland band for a while I've been in pit orchestras and been playing in the symphony just like all this stuff so I got it but one <laughs> of the things that was really interesting was um, her focus on breath so if you're accompanying a singer or actually anybody who plays a wind instrument if you're breathing the same way they're breathing, you're going to be there for them exactly where you need to be. And uh, that whole idea of everybody breathing together isn't something I thought about too much, you know, playing the Dick Stan band in high school or, you know, playing in any of the ensembles or symphonies or whatever. But when you get into a really intimate environment where there's just maybe four of you jamming together at the same time, you kind of entrain. And once you're it's like the MIDI click or the MIDI sync, right? Once you're all synced up that way, <laughs> you know, nothing can go wrong. Yeah. You're just in the, in the lane together at the same moment or the same beat or, you know, whatever, however you want to say breath. And that it's such a great feeling and you know where the guardrails are and you know what you can do to bend them and where all of you can go together, not too far in one direction or the other, if you kind of keep moving forward. And it's, it's such a great feeling to just be in that space. And it's it's literally true. Anything can happen there, right? Yeah. It's one of the best feelings, excuse me, of being a musician in my mind. There's a, there's also of course the high you get from the audience and the interaction there, but man, one of the things I miss the most and, you know, recording this in 2021 in in December, one of the things I miss the most right now about music is that is being able to play with other musicians in our typical, you know, environments that we used to play in pre, uh, pre 2020. And so it, because it's that it's that interaction, it's that connection. You said it so well. The entrainment, um, the 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 synergy, or or the sinking of of everyone's brain or consciousness that happens. And when I say everyone, I certainly mean the musicians specifically on stage, um, in that unit, in that band. Like every, they, our brains. I would love to see an experiment. Maybe there is one already done on this where. They have, you know, those uh, EEG scans or those, um, you know, oh, right. neurological uh, devices that they put in your brain or your head and to measure your your brain activity and put that on a jazz band, you know, like a really good, you know, jazz band's been playing together a long time. They don't have to be top of the top, but just like anybody that's been playing together for a while will have that kind of nonverbal communication. And what happens in the brain when that's going on? I would love to know. And if anyone listening knows, please let us know in the comments. I know that if we looked at stuff, we'd see similarities around the beat. Definitely. Where there's that, the thump that happens in every time slice. I wonder how that is for drummers who can play two against three, you know, or four, four against five and two against three at the same time, you know, (laughs) using two feet and two hands. Um, what is, what does their scan look like? Where, what, how do they sync up? You know, what, what's happening there? And then if you look around the rest of the quartet or trio, whoever's playing, what are they focusing on to entrain? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking this because I'm in this place right now where I've been thinking deeply about consciousness and the brain and the mind. And I think the brain is just responding to something else. Mm-hmm. So when the trio gets together and, and, and the drummer counts it in, Maybe it's the beat, but it's something bigger than that because every one of the folks in the trio is going to bend the beat one way or the other to make it cool. You know, it's not always going to happen precisely on one. It's, you know, they're going to swing it. They're going to shade it. It'll fade. It'll whatever. And, and, and yet it all works. 
So, okay, so maybe they're synced up to the beat and they each know how they're going to do that, but how do they do it at the same time? Right? Yeah. They don't make an agreement to just, you know, no. This 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 far that far away from the actual downbeat. It just is it's it's magic. And mm-hmm. more so and if you tried this, you know, at home, like put record a piece of music or something and then have MIDI play it back and it sounds so mechanical. Yep. You know. But the same trio could play the same notes and it would totally be musical. Yes. So I, I think it's something bigger than the brain. And yeah, it'd be fun to look at the brain and see what it's doing and how it lights up. But what if we could look at that other thing? You know, the thing that makes the music part of it happen and not just see it as a, as like an echo of what the musicians intended, which is mm. how the brain works, right? The brain is sort of after the fact, <laughs> if you can. It's so true though, Bill. You know, like I'm thinking, I just heard this recently where, you know, the brain is only really forming its opinions based on previous experience. Um, True. Yeah. You know, it, it only knows what it's already experienced. It doesn't, the brain is not something you want to use to innovate, to come up with new ideas. It's actually something that you, it's a computer and it's a computer that does incredible processing, but it is only processing off of previous experiences. So it's, it's a pattern matching. Uh, it's a it's pattern matching. It's, it's after the fact it is the uh, not the cleanup crew, but it is kind of the, you know, it's after the initial wave of an idea or a thought or, a, you know, this, this, the seed of a, of a new creation and that new creation or new thought or new idea does not come from the brain. And I know there's science uh, more and more out there that is showing this, that it's our consciousness that is not only necessarily coming up with that thought, it's also our bodies maybe in conjunction with our consciousness that are not coming up with the thought, but they're allowing the thought to come in. And there's a difference because sometimes, actually not sometimes, almost all the time, if I'm improvising, for example, on piano, I don't know. I don't even necessarily go in with an intention all the time. Sometimes I do, right, right. but sometimes I don't. And what comes out is baffles me just as much as it would baffle anyone else as to what comes out. So I didn't come up with that idea. It came through me or to me, and then my body carried it out. And I find the best musicians, and you can see them, they're clearly in another realm of consciousness when I they're call in it their channeling, is that channeling, flow say? state, you know, whatever, right? Like, I think we've got lots of different words. Channeling, I'd say, is one of the best. Flow state is another and you know what's going on there i think you're right i think there's something way more than just the brain processing things there's there's something higher um consciousness wise that's going on yeah you could really tell it too um and i'm i'm using trio on purpose a few weeks ago we went to hear a trio and the drummer who is an amazing percussionist and um, composer and everything else was the reason we were there so there was a piano player and a bassist uh, the drummer and the bassist were completely in the zone. It was so obvious. Um, and the piano player was touching it, but um, it wasn't inspired. It wouldn't, I mean, maybe it's just my opinion, but you know how you can hear where there's a musician who's incredibly good at what they do, like a studio musician can yep. come in and they can nail it. Yeah. Right. And they can play, you know, all the, they can string all the riffs together that they learned to play so they can they can make a solo happen in the moment in any key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it felt like that, right? And it was, I mean, it was awesome. There was nothing wrong. It was just totally perfect. But the drummer and the bassist were so far ahead of this guy, right? That he sounded like he was working to catch up, mm-hmm. you know? And he wasn't. But there was that feel of, you know... I don't even know what the analogy is because the only one that I can come up with is this musical one where you're in it, you're in a group and there's, there's somebody in the group that just isn't in the moment, right? They aren't in, they aren't dialed in on it yet. Right. Like go have a couple more puffs. <laughs> you know, Honestly, we'll the, the reggae again. band, that was totally one of the remedies. <laughs> right. And, 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 or whatever it takes to get you into the zone. And, and I just feel like as present and as amazing as you can be, there's that little bit of magic that takes place, whether it's entrainment or whatever we're going to call it, right? But there's that little extra bit 
and this can work with total strangers. I mean, yep. it really does. I've, yeah. I've seen it happen. And every so often I've been fortunate enough to be part of it where you sit down with somebody for the very first time and they look over at you with this intensity and all of a sudden you're in the place. Like you're <laughs> in crawls and you go, oh my gosh, I'm here now, right? I love it. And yeah. it's just like you're there. So that's what that's that's kind of where I wanted to take this, which is if you're as a healer in that place and someone comes to you and say, please, I'm, I'm feeling X, right? Help me. And, and you do that. Is that the same kind of effect that I felt that time when, you know, I could just, this monstrous, amazing jazz bassist looked over at me and I just, I was in the place, right? It was like, bang. Oh, if I go so anywhere, cool. Bill, you're, you're mine. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, first of all, I would have loved to have seen that performance, Bill, because that sounds, those are always such special. Uh, you know, that's the only thing I remember about moments. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually you don't remember a lot, you know, because when you're in that zone in the, in that flow, you're in a state of no thought. That's yeah. the beauty of it is you're not thinking. And that's what's so, I find so fascinating about the brain is that a lot of the time when the true genius comes in, that's because you've turned your brain off. Yeah. So when we think that we need to solve a problem or come up with a solution or figure out a way around something, sometimes it's the opposite. It's like, maybe don't think at all and let it come to you. Let the idea or the, uh, the answer, the solution come to you because I think we try to think things through too much almost, you know, brain's important, important to think, but, you know, I think we think too much and, and in these moments of utter musical genius and other areas of genius, of course, in any other modality or art form or whatever, um, it comes usually in the form of when you're just not thinking. And then that's when you, f you have this amazing flow with sound healing from what I've very minimal amounts I've experienced. Cause I'm not a, you know, certified sound healer or anything. I'm still usually going through the modalities of, of it being through music. However, my friends who are sound therapists, especially they have just like musicians do, you know, a set of templates, um, we can call them rules to a degree and basically functions that help and they help on a very general level. And it's good to know what these things are. And then when someone comes to you and says, I have this type of an emotional problem or this physical ailment, how could you help me? Those things are helpful to tap into, but I know that a lot of sound healers will also outside of that will also incorporate a lot of improvisation channeling, flow state, performances, whatever you want to call it. Because in that moment, what you can also do is you can, as we're learning now as human beings, we have, we're multi-sensory beings far beyond our five senses. And we can sense frequencies and, and our emotions have frequencies, right? And so when a good sound healer sits down with a client, either through Zoom or in person, because they both kind of work, you can tap into that person's energy and where they're at in that moment right then and there. Much like a musician reads the room, you're reading the audience. Like yeah. I had a whole mellow set plan, but this audience clearly is craving some high tempo, high energy stuff. I'm going to have to work through, I'm going to have to figure something out because I want to meet what they're needing right now. I, I sense that. I think it's the same with, with sound therapists. They'll have a client where they sense what's going on and then they just kind of almost stop thinking and use whatever instrument, probably a crystal healing bowl or their voice or both. And then they'll do what they're going to do. And so I've kind of seen it where it's like, there are methodologies that also get integrated, but on top of that, or mixed into that, there's a very similar improv improvisational approach to sound healing. And I think that's important because in medicine, we can get really caught up in um, figuring out one specific solution and formula and then, and then test it, repeat it and apply it to everything. Great point. Yes. doesn't work that way um, with this kind of stuff. And I think everyone's different. Everyone is nuanced. Therefore the approach to that person has to be different every single time. And the easiest way to do that is to simply not think, tap into the energy, kind of get into the zone, so to speak, and let whatever needs to come through you come through you. And almost always without question, the person receiving it will say like, wow, that is exactly what I needed. Right. Yeah. It's like when a song hits you on some random playlist and it's exactly what you need and you just exactly. feel it. Right. So you, you make this interesting point that reminds me a long time ago, maybe it's still called the healing arts, but remember when the healing arts were called the healing arts? Yeah. 
And uh, so uh, there's this separation now between the arts and the healing arts. And aren't the arts always healing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Obviously. Absolutely. When did this separation, now that you mention it, you're right. Like, when did that kind of happen? I think, well, I'm not going to blame science for it, but there, there is a need to be able to predict in advance what a, you know, what aspirin is going to do for you, for example. Yeah. You know, and, and know something about that. So you can say with some certainty that what you are going to apply is going to work. Uh, just like the sound healers that have protocols and music therapists that have protocols, there's some reasonableness to that. And I get it. But there also needs to be art, you know, the, the bedside manner, if we're going to talk about that. Some, something that allows you to, to relax into the process, whether that's listening to a concert or um, finding peace with a sound healing therapy of some kind or mm. whatever it is. And, and oh, balancing the art and the science. It's very key. Isn't that the job? I mean, you can't just show up and unless you're Kanye West, you can't just show up and go for it and, and have everything work and people go nuts and like you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, somewhere between that and the, the player piano that hits every note perfectly, there's got to be art for it to have any meaning and, and certainly for it to have some healing effect, I think, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you got the, the Bob Ross's happy accidents too, you know? <laughs> right, right. Like, how do you have, how do you have those, I mean, we can, we, I could, there's so many references in the arts and not just the arts, in, in tech and, and science and innovation all around where accidents led to the biggest breakthroughs. I mean, so many times. Sure. So once again, going in with this idea that everything has to be perfect and every note has to be played perfectly and the modality of healing has to go exactly through these protocols. I mean, we all know there's, there's, um, that's that's a very limited way of looking at it because it doesn't make any room for innovation, for new thought, new ideas, and and of course mistakes that turn into be uh, the best part about the whole performance or the whole experience, right? Um, you know, and, even and, in, you know what mistakes you might miss if you're watching it on a on a functional MRI or something, right? Yes, you might never even see that tiny little blip that was the thing that caused you know Chick Korea to take a different kind of a solo that day. I don't it's know, so whatever. True. It's so true, right? And um, and who cares if you if you mapped it out? Even though you have the map, it still doesn't correlate to the notes that got played, right? Or the the, the healing art that happened, the energy transmission that happened. You just that's not even. There's no time for that. <laughs> no, there's not. There's not. It's just moving. It's just flowing, and, and you've got to go with it, or you get in the way. And it's it's just going back to the feeling of it, it feels so good to drop out of your left brain. We're so in our left brain, nothing wrong with the left brain, but we're always in it. Mm. And we, we literally neglect 50%, like the right side of our brain. And it, of course it does. It's not just as simple as that, but it is in the sense of when we take the art out of, you know, things and, and it's just healing and it's not the art, the healing arts anymore. Um, you take that, creative right brain aspect out of it. And now it's gone back into a logical, more formulaic left brain approach, which has its place, but it needs to be balanced with the right brain. It needs to be balanced with the creativity, mm. with the innovation, you know, with that openness to create new ideas and to, you know, every circumstance that comes up, whether it's through healing or through an actual performance to always kind of throw out the rule book when it feels right to throw out the rule book. Sometimes it's, I'm so grateful I have the rule book and I need it in that moment and I go right to it and I do something pretty similar to what is needed in that time. Mm -hmm. But then there's some times where it literally has to get thrown out the window and thank God because, you know, whatever happens after that performance or with a, with a client in a healing situation, regardless, they always turn out to be almost always very beneficial circumstances, typically also propelling that creator far forward in their own career because they're learning new things, developing new techniques, um, coming up with completely new ideas, which when, you know, when's that a bad thing, right? This must be why so many of the top, top people record everything they do, <laughs> yeah. you know, going yeah. back and trying to remember it later is without the, re without the reference recording is just, you know, really tough. And That's this goes back yeah. to uh, what Sinatra was recording. Every time he went on stage, he, there was a recorder running someplace just so we could have the the tape to listen to later and, and figure wow. out what was going on. Um, wow. You know, 
great use of technology, but <laughs> right. It also says, you know, I'm not going to necessarily know what I did that night. You know? That's when you know you're in the moment though. I think that's always the sign of being um, truly in the moment, whether it's, it doesn't have to be performance or music related at all, but just being present, being with the audience, being with the room, you know, whatever that, whether you're giving a sales presentation or you're performing at Madison Square Garden, it's not that different in terms of what are the people in this space? Like, how are we going to best connect Yeah. in this circumstance? And there's like, what rule book can ever predict that? You know, you don't know what's happening in the world to influence the people on that day in that moment. I mean, I remember small, small little things like, um, I think it was my first Coldplay concert I saw when I was a kid and their concerts are amazing because they're just one big sing-along, regardless if you're a fan of Coldplay or not, like <laughs> they, they just are like tens of thousands of people belting out all the same lyrics and it's just so very uplifting. Anyway, um, Chris Martin, the, the lead singer was addressing the audience here uh, in Toronto where I was seeing the concert at the time. And there had been that very day, um, a plane crash at Pearson airport, our local airport, everyone was okay. Thank God. But it was a very scary incident. And the band just like he, he in that moment, he was starting to play a song and he was about to start the song and he, and he cut himself off. He's like, Oh, I just also wanted to say to the audience, you know, that, um, we're so, you know, bloody grateful that the, everyone on the flight's okay. And, yeah. um, and he just went on this whole, you know, talk about like human life and the importance of it while he was getting into a song. You could tell it was all improvised. There was nothing planned about it. And uh, one of the more beautiful moments of the whole concert, everyone, you could feel the whole room, just the love and the compassion that was exuding from everyone after that was just even more palpable. And it's a very small little gesture, very small little thing. Um, but that wasn't part of the plan. And he went off script and went off plan and made a much better experience because of it. So it's being in the moment, you're going to get cues and information, I think. Yeah. of what you should do in that particular moment versus having a whole set plan beforehand. Yeah. That, what an incredible compassionate response, you know, compared to the other kind of stuff that we've seen recently. Oh, people were getting trampled to death and the Awful. show kept going on. It's like, come on guys. I, I think as, as any leader, but especially as musicians who get it at a deeper level, don't we have some sort of an obligation to open that door and, at least offer it for people to want to walk through. And on, on that night, everybody went to compassion and, and hooray for that, right? Yeah. yeah. But if we don't open the door, or at least show people that there is one, I don't feel like I've done my job, if that makes any sense, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, obviously people have a choice. But, you know, goodness, people are there for the music and the music is doing stuff to us all the time. And if it does good stuff, amazing, right? You can set your intention and you get great stuff from music. But if you show up and your intention is not for that, you get a train wreck mm -hmm. you know, quite literally mm -hmm. and people get hurt or killed. And, and that's not right. You know, that's not what music is about. It's a good point. You know, you bring up like the intention as, as we typically seem to get into is so important. Right. And, you know, there have been opposite examples of this of, from performers who are going through whatever they're going through in that moment. Maybe, um, usually stereotypically they're battling also a form of some sort of drug abuse and it might be at the height of that in their life at that moment but those performances where the artist is barely there they're not really present they're hurting internally um emotionally speaking and it's and, and maybe they're turning to a variety of uh, substances to numb that and in those states sometimes you actually get brilliant performances don't get me wrong um, but you also can get real train wreck shows where there isn't any compassion because there's none coming from the artist, you know, like the artist doesn't have it for him or herself and then therefore can't expand that outward to the audience. And then the audience is kind of like, all right, the music's there. Like we're happy to hear the music, but there is a, a void, you know, like I'm not feeling the connection, let's just say, right. So I, I, I want to yeah. mention this movie because it it's okay, so Janis Joplin. Okay, everybody, <laughs> this is old school. Take me back away. So '79, the movie was made called The Rose, and it basically is it chronicles how Janis sort of came on 
unglued. Um, and Bette Midler is responsible for carrying the Janis Joplin part. It's a fantastic movie, but it illustrates what you're talking about because we lost a really good one. You know, and, and, and yeah. if you who, who follow the music scene, you know what it is that Chris and I are talking about right now. It's, it's really rough. Um, gosh, what was her name from the UK a few years ago? Oh, Amy Winehouse? Yeah, Amy Winehouse, another tragic thing, yeah. you know? But so there have been so many of them. And, and everybody knows what's happening. It's not like it's a mystery to anybody. And you love this performer and you want the best for them and you want them to make it through whatever they're, make, they're going through and all of that. And so it's this powerful, huge, powerful intention that ultimately, um, I don't want to say it doesn't work. Who knows what happens, right? But there's that, there's that collision right there. And as an audience to be able to lift up a performer when they're at their lowest um, feels very, very special. You know, even if you yeah. lose the battle, you were there for that moment. And people I'm sure who were there at, at Janis Joplin's last concert are going to remember it for their lives, you know? Absolutely. It's one of those moments. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, if you watched Kennedy get shot or, you know, those things that happen to us, the tragic things. But then you're also able to say on another night, you know, I was there the night that this happened, right? And and it's a completely different thing. And it just, mm. it's so joyous and spontaneous and, and all of that. And the real um, opportunity here, at least to me, is that we got to live in between those two spaces and fully inhabit the highs and the lows when they come, which you can do successfully with music. Music won't kill you, you know, but it'll take you pretty low and it'll take you pretty high. Mm -hmm. And it's entirely safe, but you've got to be willing to take the ride and to do that in a way that, that does have an intention to see what happens on the other side, right? To, to ride it through and feel that incredible emotional journey that goes along with it. We were talking before we started recording this, everybody, and, and both Chris and I have had a couple of weeks that were had a lot of highs and lows in them, man. And yet here we are. And I'd so much rather that than just the flat, you know, humdrum, narrow lane kind of stuff. And it's not, we don't think, it's not a mindset thing, guys. It's, a, it's more about being willing to feel, you know, everything below the neck in an authentic way that really goes deep into you. And welcoming that, which is hard. I get it. On the downside, that's that's rough, uh, hard to do, but necessary to have the the full conscious immersion in it. You know, I completely agree. And you can't have um, the highs without the lows. You have to have contrast in order for the opposite to exist. You know, joy can't exist without suffering. Um, you know, happiness can't exist without despair or being upset. You know, joy or bliss can't exist without anger to contrast it, right? The yin and yang of life, the, <clears throat> the, the black and white, the duality of, of life is, is always like that. So in moments of being low, to have tools like music as an example, to be able to lean on, to allow yourself to feel everything you need to feel in the low moments, there's nothing wrong with being in those states of uh, emotions, but then having those tools like music to get through them, to feel through them, to process what you need to process and, and do it with compassion to yourself and others. And then when you've gone, gone through that, it also creates these beautiful highs um, that yep. you also can appreciate and have all that gratitude towards. And, you know, I'm also working personally for myself on a bit of the stoicism aspect, which is also a little of the neutrality component where you, you know, you, not that you're not going to feel the beautiful emotions of life, but when you, um, learn to allow the lows to not affect you as much and the highs to not affect you as much, it's not that you're diminishing yourself from experiencing high, beautiful emotions, but you're, you're helping that, uh, there's an analogy used by this, um, Shaolin monk, um, I've been following on YouTube cause I'm really getting back into martial arts and, uh, he uses this really brilliant analogy. He's got like a medallion on a string or like a necklace thing he's got. And he holds it, the string in his hand and he pulls the medallion back and then lets it go and it flies towards his face. And he's like, he's like, the higher the emotions you feel in the high 
in the high moments in your life will then reflect in the low moments of your life the same way. So you're going to feel the lows just as much as you're feeling the highs. If you, if you reduce them and it doesn't mean that you're, again, you're not like numbing yourself. You're not cutting yourself off from the beautiful aspects of living, but you're just dialing down the notch in which you, um, you know, go, you pendulum, I guess, with your emotions. Right. And, and the more even keel you keep it, which is a kind of core component of stoicism is that it, when you're in those low points, they're not going to affect you as much. And guess what? The highs won't either, but that's, it's because you're always in that eternal now. And you're always in that moment of presence, which just accepts what is happening in that moment. Just like in music, when we're talking about improvisation, one of the key components to improv is acceptance. You really will not be a good improviser. And this works within acting and co comedy improv as well. I remember this as well from my acting and like theater days. And, <laughs> you know, nothing is going to ruin a scene faster than, and then someone who doesn't accept what the other actor is giving them or what the other musician right. is giving them. You know what right. I mean? Yep. If you don't accept it and you'll go, well, I don't like what you're doing. I want to do something different. Well, the song or the scene has been ruined <laughs> because yep. you've already taken that time and, 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 and we've lost the flow already because you haven't just accepted what that person's given you or what the circumstances have given you. And you're just running with it. And that's like a, a microcosm or a little metaphor for, I feel like with life, right? It's just, acceptance, radical acceptance of whatever's happening. Okay. I didn't want this to happen, but it's happening. Mm -hmm. How do I deal with it versus, you know, F my life. <laughs> like, so a quick word on stoicism, because it's come back with a, with a vengeance and it's really amazing. Um, I get to watch through researchers eyes, not my own, but sort of as a sideline to the stuff they're doing with veterans and post-traumatic stress. Hmm. And the research on post-traumatic stress is that it's not, we've said this before, it's not a life sentence. It's trauma is not a life sentence. It's an opportunity. Mm. And if you take the opportunity and work through it, then post-traumatic stress becomes this invitation. And so they call it post-traumatic growth now. Um, well, this I isn't love new. That. I love that. <laughs> the, you know, the Stoics knew this. Marcus Aurelius basically knew this. So he was writing about how, you know, he presided over the fall of Rome, dude. That's, that's huge, right? <laughs> the slight. Roman Empire is collapsing <laughs> and you're in charge. <laughs> so he had this acceptance thing. And when you said acceptance, I'm like, yes. So I think that the key here is not to be numb to feelings. A lot of people think that Stoics have basically managed to, you know, reduce all their feelings to this bland level. Where like robots or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's not mind numb robots. It's about fully experiencing what comes your way, but doing so without judgment where you go, Oh, I'm in the, I'm low. I'm feeling bad, you know, and that's bad. And you get all, you know, upset about it. And when you're happy, you're feeling, you're really feeling happy because it feels much better. Right. And I always choose happy, but I'll tell you what, you can't always choose happy because <laughs> there are times you're called upon to be, you know, really sad. I mean, imagine the, imagine whatever hundred people in the orchestra are playing some tragic Mahler symphony or accompanying an opera, you know, and they have to go there. You cannot sit in your chair and play, you know, any of Verdi's opera music uh, with with a stoic, numb. And I'm going to use the word stoic in air quotes, right? Yeah. You have to be fully present, or you won't get the tone that you want, and the timbre that you want won't come from your instrument. And of course, that wrecks it for the audience because they'll be thinking that you're playing to, you know, the opera singers are singing to a recording, right, or a totally. clear piano. And you, you need that depth. And I so love that you brought that up because the tough part is that we don't like bad stuff. I mean, we don't enjoy that. It's not fun. And yet it's our judgment that gets in the way of the full experience and keeps us from fully experiencing it and locking all that stuff instead inside where it just boils up until it explodes. Right. <laughs> and then nobody wants that either. So it's like, we know the psychology of it and yet we still do it. We still deny ourselves the beautiful experience of being in that incredible tragic moment, which is like going to a movie. It's not real life. It's music, right? Which is kind of a, a you know, music is real life, but you get the idea, right? You, yeah. You're, you get to be part of this amazing thing without injury. <laughs> the injury comes when you try to deny yourself, the, <laughs> you know, the opportunity. So why am I thinking about this? Oh, because, you know, when you're in the flow in music, you can't be judgmental, like you were saying, because you immediately step away from the flow. Yep. You take yourself out of it, right? And if your training is to do that, you'll never have this beautiful experience. Uh, I've heard it said that 
if you believe that you cannot be hypnotized, you can't be hypnotized. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's like resistance in that way keeps you separate from the thing that is there to feed you, to heal you, not whatever. We're doc- I'm no hypnotist, but we're talking about music here and the healing arts. And if you come in as a skeptic and say, well, this can't possibly work for me, I'm going to listen to, you know, um, what was Evan Christopher's song? Um, it was uh, Farewell Blues or something like that. Farewell right? Blues. Yeah. It's hard to listen to Farewell Blues and not be happy. Oh, isn't and it? It's a, it's a blues, <laughs> right? It's, it's, there's the great paradox, right, in the title. Yeah. But there it is. And if you resist that, because it, oh, it's called Farewell Blues, and I'm supposed to be sad now, you're going to miss all the happiness that's happening on stage. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, so joyful. And, or vice versa. So it's really about acceptance, especially when you're in the realm of art. You know, you don't have to be a critic and just sit there and enjoy it because a lot of cool stuff is happening. And that's true for us on the stage as well. You know, we have to get that place where we can enjoy it. If it feels too much like work, it's going to sound like work and that's not going to be good for anybody. No. So whatever it is that gets us to that place, whatever practices take us there um, are really, really critical if we're going to be in front of you as, as an audience, or if a sound healer is going to be with you as a healer or a therapist, um, that's so important, in, at least in my mind, mm. that we get that right, that we write from, right from the downbeat, whatever the downbeat is, that we're fully present without judgment and accepting and, and open as a channel versus, you know, I'm going to give you therapy, right? right. Yeah. I, I love what you said too about belief and when the skeptic or when uh, with with hypnotherapy if you don't believe you can be hypnotized and you won't be hypnotized i've heard this time and time again i mean we, we know about the placebo effect that is mm. a phenomenon that is constantly ignored by western medicine yet has to of course be integrated into all studies because it almost always scores about as high as the actual drug itself right is that and not crazy i mean is, people really i mean can we please <laughs> pay attention to this a little bit more. I mean, if you look into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, he literally writes about the placebo effect in one of his books. We are the placebo, I think is the title of that. And, you know, looking more into neuroscience, it's very easy, very, very, very easy to start seeing um, right off the bat that our belief is extraordinarily important. We actually have this confirmed with quantum mechanics, the original experiment that basically created quantum mechanics, the double slit experiment you know, had um, these particles going through a slit, light particles that they would shoot through, and then they would see if they would become a particle or a wave um, when they would go through the slit, breaking them into half. And they realized during this experiment that the if it turned into a particle or a wave was all dependent on whoever was watching the particle or the wave, meaning the observer, the person who's running the experiment, played an integral role in the outcome of the experiment, which then, of course, in a sense, makes the experiment, you know, like null and void. Yet at the same time, it, it proves everything, which is that the we're observer, all in this together. <laughs> right? We're all in this together. We're literally connected. We're li- our, our minds literally create our reality and our belief system dictates whether or not something is actually going to happen to us or not. It's so what we've really let go of. And I think in the scientific and and I, I grew up in like, I was very scientifically raised. I was not raised religiously at all. I was actually raised almost anti-religious and because that's sort of in a sign in the scientific paradigm that we're in now, that is the new religion is science. Yeah. And not to diminish science. I love science and the scientific method is integral However, it also misses a lot of other stuff like the sort of subtleties and also the <laughs> the non-material aspects of our reality. But beyond that, going back to belief, we can literally do anything if we believe it. And it's not just a wishy-washy nice thing to say to your kids. It's the literal scientific proof. We, we have this proof. There's actually an incredible uh, video that um, has circulated for a while where there's this woman who has a tumor in her body and she's given an ultrasound and you can see the tumor at real time in her body. And there's these three monks, this is somewhere in Asia, this is happening. Uh, these three monks around her and they're chanting and they're chanting something in their native language, but it's uh, essentially it translates as it is gone. It is gone. Something like that. 
And it's all they're chanting is that the tumor has already left her body. The tumor, it's, they're speaking in present tense, it is gone. And the woman on the, the, the operating table, so to speak, she's also chanting this with them. And the, the point of it, and you watch in real time on this ultrasound, the tumor literally disintegrates into nothing in real time. And, oh, is this fake? Is this whatever? Let's just take all that out of the conversation for two seconds and show like, there's other examples I could show, but this is just an example of the power of belief. And if the woman had these three monks chanting and she didn't believe, if she was probably from the West, the Western world and was highly skeptical, it wouldn't have worked on her. It simply wouldn't have worked, but because she believed it did work. So in a sense, it starts to bring in this whole other idea of science and whatnot, because you start to really question, well, if I just believe that I'm not going to get sick from something, if I just believe with every fiber of my being that I will, you know, write an incredible song today, then that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> it's like the, the universe, it, it almost like it meets up with your deep, seated belief and desire to make it a reality. I've I don't know seen where, this where I was happen. going with that. <laughs> no, this, this spiritual healing is happening, has happened for a long time. Um, the earliest examples, I think, in our Christian tradition, at least in the West, come from Jesus in the Bible, and others are earlier in the in the Old Testament of the Bible, where they've performed, quote, miracles, but it's, um, it's something that takes place again today. There's faith healers out there who've been sort of given a bad line. I don't know why. Um, I grew up as a Christian scientist. That's a proven healing method. Uh, and as you've just pointed out in Asia, but you know, this is, this is really incredible about belief because belief and consciousness are so closely intertwined Yeah, and you can look around the world today. And I just wonder based on what we see, what people are believing. Mm. You know, um, I see a whole swath of people who are doing incredible things in music and they have a completely different set of beliefs than the people who are um, working on climate change, for example. Mm. They're, they're working in similar ways, but their belief set is different. And they're committed to doing what they do in such a beautiful way. And then there's what we might call opposite belief sets. I mean, look at the political world. There's all kinds of beliefs in politics, you know, and you can see the results of that. If, if you just look at it, you go, okay, so here's what happened with this particular set of beliefs. Um, do I choose that or not? Right. And obviously if you're sitting around as a musician, wondering what to play next, you can choose your genre. And a lot of the way that we express ourselves as musicians comes from our beliefs, right? Yeah. Like I believe that Dixieland is fun to play. And so I enjoy playing Dixieland, but other people believe that metal is fun to play. So they play metal and, and it's the same effect, different genre. Mm. And that's such a lesson for all of us. There's nothing inherently wrong with your Dixieland or metal. There's nothing inherently more musical about Dixieland and metal or vice versa. It's just what makes you light up. Mm. And when you choose that and it aligns with your beliefs and your intentions all flow and whatever, well, that's incredible. That experience is something everybody should have, right? <laughs> whatever music it is, whatever healing it is, right. do that. I, I think, um, I'm, and, and folks listening, I know this will be in the, the new year that you're listening to this, but uh, we're, we're recording this right in the midst of the holidays here. It's December 20th today. And the reason I mention this is because, you know, one of the things, it, it's a bit of a tough holiday for, I think, a lot of people just because of the, the state of the world and just everything Truly, going on yes. right now. Yeah. And um, going back to belief, you know, I think... Um, and I, and I won't get into this too much, but I, you know, for just as an example for, I find, uh, a lot of folks that watch, um, the news every day or the mainstream media, nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing that every single day, there's a belief that comes out of the mainstream media. And the belief is that most things are negative and because that's what they focus on. And that's what makes the news is the negative, right? We don't really hear about uh, a lot of positive things happening because that well, sure. isn't the negative stuff sells, right? It's exactly. It's what sells. It's what's been perpetuated for decades throughout our, our mainstream evolution of media. Right. And whether or not that's right or wrong, I don't, that's not part of this discussion. It's yeah, more just, the, you're making a good point. The, the point is, is that the more that is consumed, 
that becomes the reality because it's a belief system that's being pushed out to a collective that absorbs it and then takes it into their own belief system. And then that's what they start to see. So for someone who hasn't myself, I haven't watched the news, you know, in probably close to six or seven years now, obviously I watch it. It comes up, it's around me, but you know, I'm, I don't consciously watch it. Uh, haven't for the last six or seven years when someone talks to me about the state of the world, I have a very different opinion on it. And it's not that I'm out of touch with what's going on globally. It's hard not to be in the day and age that we live in. I mean, you just, I don't need to be tapped in to know what's going on. And so I hear about it regardless. And so when I can look at the world, I have a bit more of an easier time believing that there is a lot of good going on as well as a lot of negative. I have a much easier time believing that there are solutions, many, many solutions to the current problems. I have a much easier time believing that we're actually moving in a really good direction. A lot of the chaos and pain we're experiencing now, I would consider growing pains because we're evolving as a species into a, a whole other level of being with one another. So you know, that opinion and that belief can come because I've given the option for positivity to be <laughs> right. in there, you know, right. because that's a belief system that I've been able to nurture throughout my, my, my life. And is it better or worse? No, it's just, that's just me. But, you know, it goes back to belief is so strong. And I, I think it's something people need to maybe be a bit more conscious of too. It's really powerful. I mean, we have all this power that we don't necessarily ever really know about but once you start to dip the toe in the pool all of a sudden a whole new world opens up a a world of choices that you never knew you had and and options and what do they call that thing that makes the lever so powerful the fulcrum yes yeah you if you move that just a little bit all of a sudden you can exert so much more power with so such little effort you know um, and, and I'll go back to this because that very moment that I mentioned where the world-class you know, jazz bass player looked over at me and was like, I was in the zone. The next thing that happened was he, he made this sort of a gesture to play less. And that stuck with me too. The two things about that show that stuck with me. First of all, there needs to be more space, more room in what we do. You know, especially when it's musical, because oftentimes it can just sound like a wall of sound and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you miss the nuance of it, right? And then as a metaphor for the world, look at how much content we're encouraged to make all the time. Content, content, content. The algorithm likes content, right? So make content. And a lot of that content isn't even grammar checked, (laughs) right? Never. Grammarly, for heaven's (laughs) sakes, it's free. People use Grammarly. You know, fix those apostrophes. (laughs) So... That that admonition, first of all, to be in a zone, like welcome, like lock in. You're in the tractor beam now, Bill. <laughs> and then the very next thing is so important to listen to what everybody else is doing. Don't be don't create such a wall of what your thing is, whether that's music or healing or news or whatever, that you, that it's impenetrable because you are in this together and, and the observer, right? We're all the observer. And so to make it all work, all of us have got to be observing the same thing, which takes some space. I mean, we got to be able to hear. I got to hear what Chris is playing. He's got to hear what I'm playing. We got to listen for the drummer. The bass has another thing to say. And if we're not, if we're not doing that, we're not in the flow together. We're all just, you know, kind of fighting in a way. The, the best music comes from harmony. It comes from everyone working cohesively together, not fighting each other, you know? Yeah. And so in sync so completely in sync that you're breathing together almost, or the hearts are beating in, at the same moment, yeah. whatever it is that signifies that for you. Uh, not more than, than mindset is where folks normally go. That's about as far as it goes. But when you talk about belief, immediately you've, you've you know, multiplied, exponentialized that mindset to a mm. whole crew that thinks the same way about things and has the same set of beliefs. And that's amazing if you're monks praying over a woman with a tumor. Right. But it's not so amazing if you're, you know, deploying a mob. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, you're right. going to get results. But choose the results you want, right? And, and as musicians, we're, we're choosing to go out there with an, an ear, shall we say, for what it's like to be in the zone together. And then whatever happens, happens. But without choosing, without making that primary choice, uh, it's, it's not going to work, you know, it's, it's, it just made me think, Bill, too, of 
this is, I think, so important for, for just myself and, and I think a lot of other folks to realize or to be reminded of is, you know, we, how do I want to articulate this? We, because of our beliefs, we really don't even know how much we're closing ourselves off to things based on our very deeply seated beliefs that we're not even necessarily aware of. For example, my whole life growing up playing music, um, I sang all the time, love singing, but and I even played in bands as a singer, yet I never consider myself a singer, ever. Never, 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 never. I'm, a, I'm an instrumentalist. <laughs> That's a belief system because a lot of the time when I sing, people will compliment it. And it's not that I need the external validation, but it's just an obvious um, case and point as to I don't really know what I'm talking about when I when I have this belief. <laughs> really, though, it's like like I made up this belief system that I'm not a vocalist. Who else made that up? No one. And if and if I were to perform and play and not say a damn thing, everyone would come up and and fully assume I'm a vocalist. Fully would assume it because I, I you know I did I would just get out of my own way and not say anything basically. But for only very 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 recently, like within the last I don't know six or five months or something, have I finally gotten to a point where I feel I don't have any pressure anymore about singing. I don't care. I don't have a plan of what I'm going to do with it. I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do what feels good. And very recently I caught myself saying it. I, I was talking to a friend and I was just in conversation, something to the effect of, Oh, I mean like I'm obviously not a vocalist. And I said that and it was like, I felt it in my body. I was like, Ooh, that does not ring true anymore. Right. It used to, it used yes. to, but since this, you know, newfound perspective on life, I found when I said stuff like that, I was just like, hold the phone. I, wh- why, why am I putting that limiting belief on myself? I'm the only one imposing it. No one else did. Yet that's a belief system that I, I, I believe. And therefore I don't treat it like, you know, like I'm a vocalist. And, the, and, and one quick add to that, um, very, very recently started getting back into painting, uh, into the visual arts. And that's another episode in of itself, Bill, we should totally talk about because I'll tell you right now, the, uh, the, the clarity, the peace, the joy, and like, I'm talking five-year-old childlike joy that I, that I feel when I, when I start to paint. Oh man. And I am not a, I'll, I'll say this specifically, the wording specifically, I'm not a trained painter, but I got to say after just letting myself go, no thoughts, no inhibitions, pure fun, joy, and expression. I looked at my interesting abstract concoctions <laughs> and I love them. And I literally would, I actually feel so proud of them that I'm like, I want to sell these and I want to, I want to, or like maybe put some on the wall and sell some others. And I feel like I'm an artist. I actually feel like I could, I feel like I could put this on the wall and then someone's like, is this yours? I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go for, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't, I didn't train for this. And it's just because I, be, I believe like I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. I loved what I created. Why can't I be proud of that and consider myself an artist? You exactly. Know? Exactly. And you're, you're a pretty dang good singer, by the way. Thank that you. concert a couple of weeks ago with Sushila and yeah, I heard some harmony in there and uh, yeah, you don't have to worry about explaining that one anymore. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, you know, I, and we're our own worst critics, right, Bill? Like, I mean, oh, completely. I, I, you know, Those my the territory, my, right? Right. Like, I, I, and I'm like, well, I can't sing unless I sound like Sam Smith, or unless I sound like Sinatra, or unless I, you know, like uh, that. That's where my, you know, threshold is. And and the biggest thing I can say to anyone who's trying to get into a new, whether it's singing or something else, that is equally exhilarating and terrifying. <laughs> um, and I would say that, you know, you are your own unique voice. And, and the more you hone in on that versus trying to sound like these other artists that take what you want from them because they, their influences on, I'm influenced by all these amazing artists, but I sound like me. I, I mean, I'm only going to sound like me and I may as well hone in on my sound rather than try, you know, to to be like the next you know whatever and let's just mention the amazing canadian leonard cohen right now because mm. there's a cat who has like no voice <laughs> yeah. and yet you know i just is he platinum i mean he, he's amazing wow. at the very least the hallelujah is like one of the most covered songs of all time oh, so incredible and you know dance me into love um the, the first of all poet but you don't have to sing yeah you know 
in that way, you know, it, it's great. We got room for Pavarotti. We got room for right, but but go for it because you never know. And he's not the only one. I can't think. There's so many people who just are like, how did they make it? You know, in a, as a top forty artist yeah. with a voice like that, and yet, right? Like um, I was just thinking, rap, rap and hip hop. Oh, literally, sure. just spoken word poetry with music behind it. I mean, that's the only difference. Yep. Um, obviously, there's this rhythm and whatnot, but I mean, it's it's literally perfect music for non-vocalists, right? Yeah. Um, or for people that don't want to sing, don't like singing, or don't want to sing. So you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and that's what I felt with painting, where I was like, why do I have to feel like I need to spend you know four or five years at an art school plus however much money on supplies and however much money on maybe private training and all this stuff to, to, to then feel okay about expressing myself through this form of art called painting. You know, wh why do I have to wait for all that? And this is how my brain works. Maybe not everyone thinks this way, but this is how I've been kind of conditioned, uh, you know, on these labels or these categories where I can't do something unless I'm <laughs> credentialed or good enough, right? Good enough, right? It was like, we got to get this out of our head because the joy I experienced doing this and like it, it was a joy and, and, and a release and a, and a deep peace and fun that I didn't feel from music. Not that music is not fulfilling me. It's just, it was just different. It was, it was because I didn't have all those years of training. You know, I've been playing music since I was five or six, you know, I've got my whole life of music that I can base performances off of critique with and I have I have so much more going on in my mind with music with art I'm like that looks cool <laughs> yeah I mean, go <laughs> my it, right? only thought process is like that looks cool let's try that you know I heard you cite Bob Ross a little earlier on so um, you're in the right you're in the right lane <laughs> <laughs> I, how many people do you think that guy has taught to paint you know, like <sighs> basic painting it's got to be millions right millions I've seen him playing on on the TV in a sports bars it's it's like that <laughs> I, what's up with this? Is it his hair? I mean, I don't know, but go, it, you know, it's so soothing to watch a man, uh, watch somebody paint though. I have to say watching somebody paint is like a, obviously a gifted artist, especially you know, my wife's a painter. And it's just, you know, I've been watching painters for a long, long time. And mm. especially the landscape painting where you're outside, you know, you're in the weeds, there's mm. snakes and you know, it's windy and all that. And yet there's somebody with an easel and you just watch that thing appear. And you know, the magic, which is, I get this a little bit too with Bob Ross. So there's a, there's reasons that you do what you do. And for a long time, your painting looks like nothing. Yeah. In fact, it, it actually can look like crap. Yep. And then there's a moment where the magic happens. It's like this one <laughs> moment and you're standing there and you're watching your buddy and he's just like, you know, putting paint on the canvas or the board or whatever. And then suddenly it comes alive. Yep. And I think that's the flow of painting. Mm. Like you're, 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 you're grinding it out. You're putting the darks where they go and the lights where they go. And it's like, you know, whatever. And sometimes you can watch painters and they paint the thing upside down. So that they mm. derail their eye from what they, you know, but there's <laughs> that moment. And it's, it's that, that magic moment that takes place, you know, and, and you get the, you get goosebumps watching that. I, I'm getting goosebumps listening to you talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> no, but it's because it's putting it's putting me into that state of mind. And I having just recently experienced it, it's just uh, it's something so simple. And and for those listening, you know, I'd love for this if there's a takeaway from this episode, um, quite a few actually takeaways to be honest. But one of them would be this simplicity of things that we have at our fingertips, even in the crazy world. If you're somewhere that's all locked down right now and you can't do anything there's still very, very simple things that we can do to bring an immense amount of relief, joy, bliss, um, play, creativity. And it could be literally as simple as throwing a piece of paper down and just throwing some colors on it or yeah, doodling. doodling, noodling, get on. If Again, if you do have access to that instrument, hop on. If you can't play it, great, go on. Just Hit things. <laughs> See yeah, what sounds like. Put on your like. favorite music. Sing along. You sing know? along. Do karaoke night for yourself. Spotify even now has a whole lyric thing you can yeah, press now. Yeah, I just now. discovered that. It's Me too. <laughs> it's so great. I'm like, oh my God. So it's like straight up karaoke now. Yeah. So you just sing. Just sing your favorite songs out loud. Blast them so you can sing as loud as you want. And and just have that um, you know expression. It's, yeah, and, it's and, and so and do good. this free of like the, the ego thing that says I'm not a singer, right? Yeah. Or I'm not a painter. Like, put that aside. Nobody's going to, you know, you're not being recorded for posterity right now. No, you don't need to show it this. to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. This is just about 
you know, letting yourself find your inner child, if that's your, the terminology you want to use or be in the flow or, um, you know, get out of your head, (laughs) get out of your head. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason we say get out of your head, right? There's two thirds of the body is experiencing stuff that your head doesn't Mm. might as well dial in on that. Right. You know, find out what your heart has to say or, you know, whether or not you're hungry and, you know, well, even your feet, you know, I'm like, my toes want to tap to a beat right now, you know, or something, yeah, right? Put like it I on. want to dance, you know, get, get out of your zone with some five, four or something, you know, something you don't normally use, see what that'll do to you and, and how it'll yank you from where you are to somewhere else. We've, was, we've packed a lot in this episode. Anything more you want to say? I mean, this I, is. I, I'm. This is I think we're definitely good. We, we've, we've had a lot of things. I was just going to say, even on the dance front, like the, uh, Evan Christopher's, you know, uh, farewell blues that you sent me. That's a toe tapper. I was dancing in my kitchen just before we got on this call. It's probably why I'm such a good mood right now. So <laughs> thank you, Evan. Yeah. Thank you, Evan, honestly. And then that's the beauty of uh, the simple, the simple things in life. You know, when you're saying how that bass player, he's like little less bill, a little less. I have had very similar experiences in music, but they're, they're a metaphor for life. Less is more. The simple things can bring immense amount of pleasure into your life. And uh, focusing on what you have access to rather than what you don't is probably the best. And you, you, you'll be surprised at what you probably have access to and what you can what you can be doing right now to uh, to express yourself and just to bring some childlike bliss and joy into your life. Brother Chris, well said, man. Preach it. We need a musical pulpit. <laughs> we need those uh, you know, those sound effects for the radio. You know, like pew, 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 pew. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. I love it, though. <laughs> Thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of music, healing, and consciousness is a practice of spontaneity, and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya. Huchaya.